You're listening to a Thorn Creek Weekend Message Podcast. For more audio content and other resources, visit thorncreek.church messages. Well, good morning. So glad you guys are all here. Uh, as Pastor Ruben said, I'm Pastor Jeremy, uh, infrastructure pastor, uh, and it's my honor, my privilege to be bringing this message this morning. And so before we jump in, I want to just go ahead and pray. So let's do that. Lord Jesus, we thank you for your love and for your grace, God. Thank you for being here in this space with us, God. Holy Spirit, would you just have your way? We, we give this time to you as we worship you as we worship you through the word and through song. God, I just pray that you would continue to move here. God, would you would you even just set me aside, God? Let your words come out of my mouth as 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 we move through this message. God, and I also lift up our our students who are uh, going to be coming back uh, from, from Phoenix, God, would you just watch over them? I pray, God, that I know that you've already been working in their hearts. I pray you just continue to do that, even on that ride, that long bus ride home. Uh, God, would you just continue to solidify what you've done in their hearts, God, and would you keep them safe and just bring them back home to us safely, God? We love you. We love you, God. We worship you, and we just ask that you would have your presence here at this time. We pray this in Jesus' name. Amen. Amen. All right, so we're talking about a crazy dream today. Has any, have any of you ever had a crazy dream, one that just kind of knocked your socks off? I, I was going to share one. Uh, so back in uh, around 2006, uh, our, our first child, uh, Emma, uh, was born. She was maybe six months old, but I was working at a, at a large IT uh, corporation, working lots of hours. We had a lot of issues going on, and, and that was just feeding into my, my nighttime. In fact, Patty was telling me like that whole week I had been like just talking in my sleep about Linux and systems and all kinds of weird stuff, right? And so one night, uh, I'm kind of in this almost, I, I, I kind of wake, wake up, but I'm still dreaming, and, and I roll over, and, and I, I shake Patty, and I wake her, I look at her, I say, what is Emma's config? What's her configuration, right? And, and Patty's like half asleep. She's waking up. She said, what are you talking about? I said, what is Emma's config, right? And I needed to know. I don't know why I needed to know. I don't remember that part of the dream, but I needed to know, right? It was important. And she's like, I don't know what you're talking about. And so like, I was so frustrated. I was like really mad at her. And I rolled over and I was like, oh, uh, you know. And like this, this crazy dream of, of how, how all this stuff was intertwining in my mind. And, and I'm thinking that my daughter has a configuration, right? Like a system or something. Um, so maybe you've had a crazy dream. Maybe you had something that you can't really explain, but you've, you saw it. And today we're going to look at that. We're actually going to look at a vision and a dream that happened to these two different men. And this changed, really changed the course of the gospel as it moved forward um, in, in, in as, as Jesus said, in Jerusalem, Judea, into the ends of the earth, right? It really just changed how these believers saw where the gospel was supposed to go. So last week, we learned about Paul. Uh, he, was, he was Saul, and then, and then he starts going by, by his Greek name, Paul, and he meets Jesus on this road to Damascus, and he's transformed. He was a persecutor of Christians, and then he becomes this, this great preacher, this evangelist, this apostle of Christ, right? And, and, and we've learned that, that God's whole plan for Paul was to reach the Gentiles, right? But what's interesting is like the rest of the believers that were in Jerusalem, they didn't know about this yet, right? Like all this happened, but they, they, weren't, they didn't have front row seats to that. Uh, and so they didn't know. And so Paul, or what we're going to look about today is, is God continuing to reveal that plan to his believers, to the apostles, to Peter specifically. Um, 
And we're going to look at, at Cornelius and, and Peter. And what's interesting is, is no other single event receives more attention in the book of Acts than the conversion of Cornelius. It's about a chapter and a half that, that's involved in this whole process. So when there's a, a significant amount of time spent on this, then we, we, we recognize that it's a significant event, right? Now, before we jump in, I do want to clarify a few terms, make sure we're, we know, we're all on the same page as we move forward. So we're going to talk a lot about Jews and Gentiles today. Okay, so the Jews are the people of God. They stem from, if we look back to the Old Testament, we go to Adam, right, and then to Noah, and then even to Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob, right? There's this lineage of people that God has chosen, and in fact, God made covenants with Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob, right? He even changed Jacob's names to Israel, right? That was his people, and he promised them to give them this land and to be their God, and they would be his people, right? And then they continue on, and these the, the Israelites, the Hebrews, end up in Egypt and become slaves, and God delivers them, takes them to this mountain. He gives them these laws. He says, you are my people, and he gives them these laws to really make them distinct in that land, to, to make sure that they look like other, like different from everybody else, right? That, that people could recognize that these are Jews based on how they, they act and how they behave and who they worship, right? And so that's who we're talking about when we, when we talk about Jews is, is this line of people that God has promised. And Gentiles, this is the easy one, it's everybody else, okay? So Jews, Jews and Gentiles, everybody else, not in that, that lineage, not in that chosen people are the Gentiles, so we're going to look at that. Let's jump in. Acts chapter 10, uh, verse 1. It says, at uh, Caesarea, there was a man named Cornelius, a centurion in what was known as the Italian regiment. He and all his family were devout and God-fearing. He gave generously to those in need and prayed to God regularly. So here's Cornelius. He is a Roman, a Gentile. Right? He has, he's this leader of a troop of 100 soldiers. That's what makes him a centurion. Um, and as such, he has significant uh, social and financial standing and, and, and influence in, in, his, in his society, where he lives. He is, he is seen as someone who's important because he oversees these hundred soldiers, right? But he's this Gentile. Now, what's interesting and unique about Cornelius and his family, though, is that they actually behave more like Jews than they do Gentiles, right? He was devout. He was pious. He was devoted to God. In fact, the Greek word, yosebes, describes a Jewish reverence for God. So when it says that he was devout, he had this Jewish reverence for God. Not just any God, not all the gods of, of the Roman Empire or anything like that, but the, the one true God, the God of Israel. And he feared God. Uh, this is an Old Testament, Testament reference to the allegiance to God. And, and Luke, the author of Acts, he only uses this term, this God-fearer, as, as talking about a Gentile who worships the God of Israel. So he's a God-fearer, and so is his family. He gave generously to those in needs. Again, another Old Testament sign of faithfulness to God and God's call to provide to the poor. So, so Cornelius is, is living like a Jew would. Like he recognizes that he wants to be faithful to God, and he's, he's providing for the poor and giving, like God says. And he prayed. He prayed always, and he had this habit of prayer. So we see all this, but the thing is that Cornelius is just a God-fearing Gentile. He hasn't converted to Judaism. He is not a Jew. He is a Gentile. What I find interesting about this right here, what we see is God going before and moving in someone's life before they're even a true believer, right? The theological term for this is prevenient grace. It's the grace that goes before our decision to follow God. 
right? And that's what God does. He goes before because, because we don't, we don't, we're not born just knowing like, hey, when, we, when we we're born, we need to know Jesus and we need to know God and we want to live this way. Like that doesn't just happen. It's actually God's grace that goes before us, that woos us to him, that, that draws us to him, that says, hey, there's something bigger than yourself. There's something bigger than your selfish ambitions or your desires. Maybe you're here today because you're searching for something, something bigger than yourself, something that brings you hope. God is faithful to seek after you. You're not here by accident. It's prevenient grace that draws us here. It's prevenient grace that draws us to the, to the foot of the cross and to God that says, hey, there's something different here. God sees you and he loves you and he is actively pursuing you. I like how uh, Thomas Oden, he said it like this. He said, grace works ahead of us to draw us toward faith, to begin its work in us. Even the first fragile intuition of conviction of sin, the first intimation of our need of God is the work of preparing, prevening grace, which draws us gradually toward wishing to please God. That's what we see happening in Cornelius' life, right? There's all these little pulls that says, you know what, there's something different about the God of, of Israel. There's something more. It's, he's not like the gods of, of the Romans or of the Greeks or anything like that. So we continue on. In verse 3, it says, One day, at about three in the afternoon, he had a vision. He distinctly saw an angel of God who came to him and said, Cornelius. Cornelius stared at him in fear. What is it, Lord, he asked. The angel answered, Your prayers and gifts to the poor have come up as a memorial offering before God. So 3 p.m., the ninth hour, was a, was a normal time for the, the evening prayer in, in, in Jewish culture. Right? So again, we just see Cornelius is continuing to, to follow after God in his dedication. Now, it's, it's noteworthy to see that the angel tells Cornelius that, that his good deeds, his, his giving to the poor and his devotion to God has, has come up as an offering before God. Right? Like God sees what he's doing. Right? It's pleasing to God. But he's not, he's not saved by those deeds, Right? The angel doesn't tell him, like, you're, you're, you're made right and, and, and God, God, is, God has welcomed you completely. He just says, look, they've come up and they're good, but, but he's just a good person, right? He's doing good things, right? It's possible to be a quote-unquote good person but not right with God. It's possible to mow your, your neighbor's lawn, right, while they're gone on vacation or give to charities or even come to church services. But if you haven't given yourself completely to Jesus, then you're just a good person, right? It's, it's not those deeds that make us right. There's still this sin that separates us that has to be taken care of, right? Paul tells us in Romans that, that everyone has sinned and fallen short of God's glorious standard, right? So, so while Cornelius is doing these good things and prevenient grace is going before and drawing him to do these things, basically the, the angels tell him there's still something else that you need. There's something you don't know. Verse 5, it says, Now send men to Joppa to bring them back, bring back a man named Simon, who is called Peter. He is staying with Simon the tanner, whose house is by the sea. When the angel spoke to him, uh, when the angel who spoke to him had gone, Cornelius called two of his servants and a devout soldier who was one of his attendants. He told them everything that had happened and sent them to Joppa. I love what Cornelius does. 
He doesn't ask questions. He doesn't say, well, I need to understand, why am I going to send these people there? Or, he doesn't say, well, why don't I just go? Why do I have to send people? He doesn't look for, he just, he just obeys. He just recognizes that this angel is sent from God, that there's something divine happening here, and he just says, okay, and he obeys. Obedience is God's love language. Like, if you want to get the attention of God, then obey him. Right? Jesus said, if you love me, then do what I say. Follow my commandments. Right? And, and we're not talking about here, there's, it seems like kind of there could be this dichotomy, right? Like, well, if, if deeds don't save us, but then I have to be obedient, then, then what's going on here? No, the obedience is that God says, love the one whom I sent. Follow him. And that's Jesus. And we start there, and then we continue on, and we love our neighbor as we love ourselves, and we show compassion, and we show mercy, and we, and we, we give when, when there's someone who's, who's in need. And we do all of these things as the church, as, as the body of Christ. God doesn't just want obedience once. He wants continued obedience. And so if you want to move the heart of God, show continued obedience. We now jump into verse 9. And we move from, from Caesarea to Joppa, and we see Peter. And so at verse 9, it says, About noon the following day, as they were on their journey and approaching the city, Peter went up to the roof to pray. He became hungry and had wanted something to eat. And while the meal was being prepared, he fell into a trance. Here comes the dream. He saw heaven opened up and something like a large sheet being let down to earth by its four corners. It contained all kinds of four-footed animals as well as reptiles and birds. Then a voice told him, get up, Peter, kill and eat. It's interesting. God, you know, he's hungry. He's waiting for lunch. And so... God shows him all these animals, right? Verse 14, Peter says, Surely not, Lord, Peter replied. I have never eaten anything impure or unclean. Now, the first thing that sticks out to me about this passage is there's this cool, these cool parallels that are happening between Cornelius and Peter, right? They're both praying at this time of prayer. They both get this vision or this trance, and God is speaking to them, and, and he gives them a kind of a command, tells them things, right? God tells Peter, uh, he gives him this crazy dream with all these animals on it. Now, we don't know what animals are on it, but we can, we can infer by Peter's response that they were considered unclean animals, impure. And so where does that all come from? What is, what is, why is Peter rejecting this, saying, no, I'm not going to eat them, right? We have to remember that Peter is Jewish. He's grown up as a Jew, someone following the law of Moses, right? He's not a, a Gentile like Cornelius, so we have to go back to kind of really understand what he's talking about. So if we look in Leviticus, we see these laws. Leviticus 11, 1 through 8, it says, The Lord said to Moses and Aaron, Say to the Israelites, of all the animals that live on the land, these are the ones you may eat. You may eat any animal that has a divided hoof and that chews the cud. There are some that only chew the cud or only have a divided hoof, but you must not eat them. The camel, though it chews the cud, does not have a divided hoof. It is ceremonially unclean for you. The hyrax, though it chews the cud, does not have a divided hoof. It is unclean for you. The rabbit, though it chews the cud, does not have a divided hoof. It is unclean for you. And the pig, though it has a divided hoof, does not chew the cud. It is unclean for you. You must not eat their meat or touch their carcasses. They are unclean for you. Now, this is just the first two little paragraphs of chapter 11. 
the whole chapter talks about all kinds of animals, uh, uh, animals of the sea and shellfish and fish and that kind of thing and birds and reptiles and insects that go like all of these things are discussed in here. And there's these, these, these rules, these laws that God is giving saying, you may eat this, you may not eat this, right? And even, even beyond eating, like you can't even touch the carcass. Don't even, don't even touch that animal because you could be ceremonially unclean. In fact, the next 12 chapters in Leviticus, all the way to chapters 11 through 22, they give the Israelites laws concerning cleanness and uncleanness on all kinds of things like food and people and garments and dwellings and priests and offerings and sacrifices and mourning and grieving and, and marriage and, and all kinds of things. All of these rules, right? And they're meant for one purpose, to show that God is holy. I like Adam Clark said it in his commentary on Leviticus. He said, Moses proceeds to deliver a series of ordinances, all well calculated to prevent the Israelites from mixing with the surrounding nations and consequently from being contaminated by their idolatry. The point of these laws was to set the Israelites, to set the Jewish nation apart from everyone else, from all the Gentiles, that they would look different, right? The Gentiles, they'll eat any animal. Well, you're only going to eat these animals on the land that, that chew the cud and have a divided hoof, right? And then when that happens, people everywhere will notice that you're not eating what I'm eating, so you must be different. What's different about you? And in each chapter, as you look near the end, as God gives these laws, he always ends with, do this because I am holy. God is concerned with his holiness. He is sacred and holy, and right, and blameless, and perfect. And he wanted a people who were holy, who were set apart to him. And this is what led Jews to not even enter the house of a Gentile, right? They wouldn't even go in because of these laws, because it's possible that if they went into this home, they could be offered food that they shouldn't eat, or they may even touch something that they shouldn't touch, they were that concerned with it that they wouldn't even go in. In fact, they were very even hesitant to let a Gentile into their home because the same thing might happen, right? They may have brought a snack and said, hey, you want a, you want a little piece of this or whatever? And they're eating something that they shouldn't eat. And so the Jews who love God and want to follow his commands recognize. And so there's where Peter is, right? He gets this, this, this sheet of all these animals that are considered in, uh, unclean and impure. And God says, get up, Peter, kill and eat. And Peter's like, no, 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 no. I'm going to follow your laws. Let's look at verse 15. The voice spoke to him a second time. Do not call anything impure that God has made clean. On the surface, it looks like God's talking about food, right? So, yay, bacon, right? Our men. Did I just hit that? There we go. Uh, bacon is exciting, right, guys? I mean, let's, let's get real. <laughs> So we get bacon, right? But that's not what God's talking about. That on the surface, we're seeing these animals, right? But, but God's talking about something deeper here. He's talking about something more powerful. In fact, this, this verse right here, where God says, do not call anything impure that God has made clean, is like the most powerful statement of the set of these verses that we're looking at. Like this has huge connotations. Now, I want to get to this verse, and I want to dig in some more, but I want to look at the next verses first. So we were going to come back to this. So don't forget do not call anything impure that God has made clean. 
So verse 16, this happened three times, and immediately the sheet was taken back to heaven. That's funny, because Peter's like the, the apostle of threes, right? He had three denials. When Jesus came back and saw him, he had to tell him, do you love me three times? And now, now he has this vision, and he has to go through it three times. Like, no, God, I won't do it. And God says, do it, right? So if you ever doubt, right, you're in good company. Like Peter, who walked with Jesus, had trouble understanding. If you have trouble understanding, it's okay. God has patience and mercy for us. Verse 17, while Peter was wondering about the meaning of the vision, the men sent by Cornelius found out where Simon's house was and stopped at the gate, right? So Peter, he doesn't get it quite yet. He has this dream, this crazy dream, and he, all this happens, but he's still kind of like, what was that all about? What does that even mean? Like, what's going on? Verse 18, they called out asking if Simon, who was known as Peter, was staying there. And while Peter was still thinking about the vision, right, it's still on his mind, it has affected him. Have you ever had those crazy dreams where it just sticks with you, right? Like, what was that all about? The Spirit said to him, Simon, three men are looking for you, so get up and go downstairs. Do not hesitate to go with them, for I have sent them. Here's that parallel again. We see God speaking to Peter saying, do this. I have sent them, you need to go with them. And so what does Peter do? Another parallel, he obeys right away. Peter went down and said to the men, I'm the one you're looking for. Why have you come? The men replied, we have come from Cornelius the centurion. He is a righteous and God-fearing man. God-fearing, right? That's the word, God-fearing. That would have cued to, to Peter. This is a God-fearing Gentile. He's not a Jew. It says, who is respected by all Jewish people. A holy angel told him to ask you to come to his house so that he could hear what you have to say. Now Peter can kind of start piecing this all together, right? He has this dream, this, this vision. It's, he's not quite sure what it means. So, so let's look at it, verse 15 again. It says, The voice said to him a second time, Do not call anything impure that God has made clean. See, these Gentiles are now inviting Peter to come back and to enter a Gentile's home. Do Jews enter Gentiles' homes? No, because they could become unclean. But the Holy Spirit just told Peter, now go and go with them. Do this thing. So Peter's kind of stuck in this area here, right? And he's, he's starting to piece together what this dream actually meant, right? And uh, Richard uh, Thompson, in his commentary on Acts, he says it like this. He says, the inclusion of Gentiles may have been the most problematic issue that the Christian church had faced so far, since she was comprised entirely of Jewish believers. Right? Up to this point, all of the believers of Christ were Jews. It was from the Jewish community that that came. And so now they're like, wait a minute, Jesus said to go to Jerusalem and Judea and to the ends of the earth and to, to share and be witnesses. But what do we do with these Gentiles? There was this separation that they had to kind of work through. But now God is telling through Peter and to all of his other disciples and his believers that, that, that don't call impure or unclean what I have made clean. God's doing a new thing. In fact, that word clean, the Greek word for that is katharizo. And, and the definition is to make clean, to cleanse in a moral sense, to free from defilement of sin and from faults, to free from guilt of sin and to purify, to make clean. Now, I'm going to assume that the majority of us in this room do not come from Jewish descent, right? 
That makes this verse right here something to be very excited about. If it wasn't for this, if it wasn't for God saying, don't call impure what I have made clean, if it wasn't for God's cleansing power through Jesus Christ, then it's, then it's all just for the Jews. It's just for these chosen people. But now it's being expanded to everyone, to the entire world, to all, to Jew and Gentile. His grace is for you. His grace is for me. It's for the person who's never known God. It's, it's for the person who, who doesn't, who's never been in a church. Uh, it's for the person who's been hurt by the church. It's for the addict, for the person who's depressed, for the good person, quote unquote. It's for the liar. It's for the deceiver. It's for the defeated. It's for the meek, for the strong, for everyone. That's God's grace. And that's what he's telling Peter here. This is what the, the prophets of the Old Testament said. In fact, in Luke chapter 2, we see as Jesus is brought into the temple as a baby so that he could be circumcised, so that they can follow the law of Moses, we see that, that his salvation is for everyone. In verse 25, it says, Now there was a man in Jerusalem called Simeon who was righteous and devout. He was waiting for the consolation of Israel, and the Holy Spirit was on him. It had been revealed to him by the Holy Spirit that he would not die before he had seen the Lord's Messiah. Moved by the Spirit, he went into the temple courts. When the parents brought in the child Jesus to do for him what, was, what the custom of the law required, Simeon took him in his arms and praised God, saying, Sovereign Lord, as you have promised, you may now dismiss your servant in peace. For my eyes have seen your salvation, which you have prepared in the sight of all nations, a light for revelation to the Gentiles and the glory of your people Israel. This is why Jesus came. This is why he went to the cross, to save us from our sins, not just the Jews, but the Gentiles as well, to save the entire world. And I love the word that God uses when he tells Peter. He says they are clean. They've been cleansed. God didn't just kind of put a band-aid on our sin, right? Didn't just kind of cover it over. He's cleansed us from it. As you put your faith in Jesus Christ and you, and you have full forgiveness of your sins, you are, you are cleansed. You are made new. I've, I've got a prop to kind of try and help us understand this. All right. I have this cup of dirt. And here's our sin, right? And it lands out here. And there's all this sin, this dirt, that makes us dirty. And I could just do this, right? Right under this rug. Like that. All right? Is that clean? Guys, don't answer. Is that clean? <laughs> no. no. The answer is no. That is not clean. Right? That's just covered up. It's out of sight. We don't see it anymore, but it's still there. Right? We move the, we move the carpet. We move the rug. It's still there. See, God's grace through Jesus Christ, his blood, it doesn't just cover us. Right? We are justified by his blood. We are justified, which means just as if we had never sinned. It's not just as if we can't see it, right? Just as if we forgot it, but it's actually clean. My prop doesn't fall over. Here we go. It's actually clean, and then I make a big mess from last night, but you'll get it, right? It's cleaned up. It's no longer there. It's just as if that dirt was not there. That's what the blood of Christ does. It's not covered up. It's cleansed. 
And that's what God is saying to Peter. He says, don't call impure what I have made clean, that I have completed and done. We just have to believe. We put our faith in Jesus Christ, and he gives us forgiveness. He justifies us, makes us righteous. We stand before God, and God does not see the sin in our life because he has cleansed us from it. It's not just that he chooses to not see it, but he has cleansed us. We are made new. And that's, that's really God's message for all of us. You are welcome in God's house. You are welcome in God's house. Through Jesus Christ, there is no fear of us entering the house and making things unclean. God made a way for us to enter, and he has cleansed each and every one of us. It wasn't just for a certain set of people. It wasn't just for the good person. It wasn't just for the person who followed the law. It wasn't for just the person who grew up in the church or parents told him what to believe. It was everyone. No matter your history, no matter your background, your lineage, no matter what, God loves you and he wants to be in a relationship with you. He loves you to the point of the cross, Jesus dying for our sins to clean us to pick up the dirt, to take it away, not just cover it up. All right, last verse for today. Verse 23. Then Peter invited the men into the house to be his guests. Peter has no issues at this point. He invites these Gentiles in to be his guests. Not just inviting them in, but to be his guests. He, he, he shows them hospitality, no reservation, no concern about clean or unclean. He gets what God is doing. He gets what God told him with that sheet. He is not going to call impure what God has cleansed. And this is what God is calling each of us to do. This is what God is calling Thorn Creek Church to do. We invite the lost Jew or Gentile into the church, into God's house, so that they can have the opportunity to meet Jesus. We have to be careful. We don't want to, the longer you walk with Jesus, it's very easy, very easy as you follow in obedience and you you do what God has asked you to do and you're spending time in the word every day and you're, you have devotions and you're, and you're praying and God is freeing you from things and, 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 and things that used to, to, to hold you back and, and cause you to sin and, and, and you, you, you don't do those things anymore. It's very easy to get into this kind of us and them mentality, this holier than thou, this like I'm gonna look down on people who, who don't follow God like I do. We have to be careful of that. We want to be inviting, right? And that's what we want to do. So here's my challenge to you today. First, put your faith in Jesus Christ. If you haven't done that, it starts right there. But the challenge for today, for this weekend, is to serve in our guest relations ministry. To welcome people in as guests. People who who come to this church, who God has drawn through prevenient grace, for the grace that goes before, that he's wooing them, regardless of what they're going through, whether whether they're, they're having marriage problems, 
or they're depressed. There may be a person that God calls to our church that's contemplating suicide. And our guest relations ministry team is the first face that they see as they come in. And we can be like Peter, who invites them in and welcomes them. That's our hope. This is a very important ministry. In fact, uh, show of hands, how many of you were told hi the first time you visited Thorn Creek Church, right? I hope everybody's hand is up. You see, right? That's our goal. I've, I've been to a church where nobody said hi to us, right? We just walked in. People saw us. They definitely saw us. But nobody said hi. Nobody welcomed We don't want to be that kind of church. We want to be a church that shows people the love and the grace of Jesus Christ from the parking lot all the way to the seat. Did you know it takes, if we fully staff our guest relations, it's 22 people every service. It's 66 people a weekend is what we need to welcome people, to show them that they care and that they matter and that they're worthy of God's love and grace. So my challenge to you Because we believe that people are being drawn to Thorn Creek Church, that God is bringing those people here, those people that need to hear of his grace. We believe that God is going to continue to do that and fill these seats. And so we want to be that warming, welcoming ministry. So my challenge for you is if you're not serving anywhere, maybe even you're serving somewhere else, but you have enough time you can serve because it's right before service and right at the end and you're welcoming people, and you're smiling at them, and you're showing love, I want to encourage you, go to thorncreek.church guests, just give us your name, and let us know you want to serve, and we will plug you in. You'll get a call this week. But that's my challenge, right? Because we're not going to call anything impure what God has cleansed. We recognize that God's love is for everyone. It's not just for us who come here and who are Thorn Creekers but we want to grow. We want to reach everybody outside of these walls. And as they walk in, as God draws them in, we want to be that warm and welcoming face, loving them, showing them kindness. Let's pray. Lord Jesus, we thank you for your love and your grace. We thank you for going to the cross. Thank you, Jesus. Maybe you're here today and and you've never put your your faith in Christ. Maybe you've never given your life to Jesus. And if you recognize what God is doing, maybe he's working in your heart even right now. And you're thinking, God, I want to be cleansed. I want to be made new. I want the abundant life that you've promised. Then all you have to do is just say this prayer, Jesus
Each year, thousands of Thorn Creek Church messages are downloaded for free. This ministry is generously supported by Thorn Creek Church members and listeners like you. If you'd like to support this ministry, please consider making a tax-deductible donation by visiting thorncreek.church/give.